<laughs> so hello and welcome to this candid conversation. My name's Steve Dunkley. I hope you're well and staying safe in these uncertain times. Now across the world, COVID-19 lockdowns have caused widespread unemployment. And since the back end of March, we've seen the start of what's become known as the work from home economy. Uh, so 42% of working Americans have been working from home and that's around 67 million people. And in the UK, 20 million people have been working from home when before the pandemic struck, the number was just 1.7 million. But has working from home really meant employee burnout or productivity paralysis? Or are we presented with an opportunity where we can work from anywhere with a world of online resources to help us upskill, things like LinkedIn to help us connect, project our insights and do business and get super jobs? So today we'll be looking at how employers should be engaging with their employees during these uncertain times. And for those that are out of work or in need of a career change, we'll discuss what you need to be doing to become more employable. And we'll discuss the importance of carefully managing your personal brand integrity in a world of algorithms that can screen you out of the running for a job without you realizing. So I'm delighted to welcome my guests, Julia Romano, Tracy Levine, and Lena Shishkina. Many thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. So we'll start with Judy, who's recently become the CFO commercial and technology for IHG, which is the hotel group that has Holiday Inn and Crown Plaza in its portfolio. And prior to that was the international CFO of both Equifax and McKesson. So Judy, it was great to have you take part in last week's Candid Convo, where the topic was how finance professionals can become effective business partners and social CFOs. Um, so in terms of moving to working from home, tell us a bit more about your team, how your working from home has impacted or enhanced your engagement with them, and how you're demonstrating sort of resilient leadership to ensure that your team is on board with you. So thank you, Steve, for having us. A uh, very relevant topic. This was the first job that I have had in a long time that I had most all of my employees in the same physical location. Historically, I worked with global teams spread around 24 countries in international functions. So when we moved from working from home, to me, it was like the same jobs I had before. It was all video conferencing, pulling the team together, engaging with them, being uh, visible to them and accessible. So to me, no change for them, everything changed. I was able to show them very quickly that putting some structure to the week, having Monday, Wednesday, Friday stand-up meetings with my directs, Tuesday, Thursday meetings with, uh, with the entire team, skip level meetings, fun Friday, uh, just to name a few initiatives, kept us very engaged. Being new, I also instituted brand bag launches, which initially were set to be once a month and ended up four times a week because we had the opportunity to bond and learn together. And this resulted in a highly engaged uh, team. I think the team was surprised how I was able to pull them together. They got to know each other much better than ever before, and they actually maintained engagement and effective working. So for me, what I hear and see and the feedback I get, I couldn't have been uh, prouder of the way we have been working the last five months. Great stuff. So now my second guest is Lena Shishkina, who I first met at a London breakfast briefing I organized about eight years ago when you were the CFO of SAP in the UK. Now, can you remember who the keynote speaker was then, Lena? Oh, my goodness, Stephen. Thank you. No, I don't remember. 
I well, actually, it was the CFO of IHG at the time, which is Tom Singer. Oh, yeah. uh, and, and Tom was talking to us about emerging markets and the introduction of the Hilux brand in China, which is really interesting. But uh, yeah, Lena, when you, when you left SAP, you then became the CFO in Europe for Workday, uh, which was a great client and partner of my previous company, FDE. And you spoke at a number of our events as well. So it's great to have you with us, Lena. Um, Thanks, Stephen. Yeah, okay. So tell us about your new company, Redpoints, and what you're doing there, your role, and how employee engagement's being managed during this difficult time. Great question, Stephen. Thank you. So Redpoint is a very innovative tech company that uh, protects brands, uh, e-commerce online from counterfeiting and also piracy. So we are a machine learning, artificial intelligence native from the startup to the scale up, which is a very exciting environment. And obviously, as the COVID-19 crisis happened, that was one of the challenges that we had to face is to acknowledge that this is changing our lives for, you know, for some near future. Uh, we also were based in Barcelona, Spain. So you probably know that the lockdown in Spain was quite strict and it was ongoing for almost two months. So we had to really get together very quickly and uh, respond to the situation with our best ability. I agree that it, it's about the resilient leadership. It's also about agility that you, you pick up yourself and, and you move on. And what we were trying to create in the first week and very, very fast is basically our best response for the people to create the momentum that we don't lose the speed and we don't lose the innovation. And we also listen to people much more carefully, empathetically react to, you know, to their challenges. And I guess from looking at your company, because of this COVID pandemic, the increase of people online, whether it's online shopping or online consumption of media, that's meant a big rise in demand for your services, because I understand that it's all about protecting copyright owners and things like that. Yeah, this is very true, uh, Stephen, because of that increased online shopping. However, what we've been observing in the first weeks is, yeah, the markets were shut but we were trying to cut through and do our best and, and your comment about the productivity is something that we put at the forefront of everything we've been doing through this lockdown and through this crisis but we also support one another hmm. how many employees do you have at red points it's about 250 people hmm. and we're spread across europe uh, and, and us Great stuff. Well, looking forward to more insights from you shortly, Lena. But finally, we have Tracy Levine, author and CEO of Advantage Talent and a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, who's the author of the book, Win, Future-Proofing Your Workforce in the Age of Disengagement, uh, which is currently number six in the top 25 books that CEOs should be reading in 2020, according to the Book Authority. So congratulations with that, Tracy. Thank you. Good stuff. Now, Tracy, in terms of the context of this book, was it written with COVID as a backdrop or was it written, when, when was it actually written? The book is actually more valid now that we have COVID, but it was written in the backdrop that at the end of 2018, we were seeing all of this disengagement and companies were spending billions of dollars and employees were ghosting. People were just unhappy. You were seeing articles going, you know, Millennials are lazy, okay, boomers, and who is Gen X? It was basically the culmination of what Accenture had predicted in 2016, their European branch, the fluid workforce. And so you go to January 2019, Deloitte puts out a report where they pulled 11,000 global corporations and found out that at that point in time, only 42% 
of large corporations had more than 50% of their employees full time. And that counts everybody from the janitor to the CEO. So this whole group of disengagement was coming about. And as somebody who had been in recruiting for over 14 years, and my background, just so you know, is on Wall Street as an um, investor for corporations and institutions, Japanese hedge funds, so I live in data. And Steve, you'll appreciate this. When we went to write the book, when we look at data, because you're a researcher, it's really easy to get caught in your own mind think and what you think is true. And we knew things were changing. And I had theories about why people were disengaged. It was because, you know, we had gone to basically a just-in-time workforce, the right solution, and the verified solution, and an agility workforce. Because in that study, Deloitte also showed that corporations had basically done away with training programs. There was no training you to go up the hierarchy, but we were still interviewing people and asking them, what do you want to do three years from now by people who didn't even know they would have a job three years from now. So it was not a healthy workforce because statistically, if you look at the data, Steve, you may not be aware of this, but most millennials have been laid off two to three times, even with college degrees since graduating. So the book was a culmination of how do we deal with the fluid distributed workforce. And now that we have COVID, it's almost put it on steroids and everything in that book is what Judy does, which I'll talk about later. What Tracy mentioned is that we have to lead from the front. I have been focusing on educating my team on technology. So we had last week from Microsoft, a guy from the digital transformation office come and talk to us. And it's incredibly powerful to hear from a fellow finance leader the journey, the hiccups, the benefits that they have been on. So we started now officially on the RPA journey. We identified 25 opportunities. Nobody is worried about their jobs, which is an incredible achievement because that's what it's all about, job security. And the team is moving forward. And it was me leading it forward and telling them we are on this journey. The train left the station and they have to get on. Mm. Sounds great. I mean, uh, I think it's Microsoft guy. Was that Rohit? Because I think... Uh, so she's, yeah. Rohit did the blockchain for finance. And then Rohit introduced me to Corey, who is actually in the CFO's digital transformation office. So mm. Rohit had to bring down blockchain to finance level and showed what they were able to do. And then he introduced me, that's the networking. So he introduced me to Corey, who is in the office of the digital transformation. And I tell you, maybe my last thought, what really resonated, it all starts from the top. Mm-hmm. Very important. What he said is, when Sacha took over as a CEO in 2014, despite them having been already 10 plus years on this journey since 2009, 2014 was a pivoting point where he said, this is what we are going to do and change the culture. And it permeated from top to bottom. Judy, interesting your reflections on how to upskill finance people in uh, all these new technologies. Uh, I was facing a slightly different challenge. Uh, I manage the finance team as well as operations teams. So predominantly, they're very techy people, very process orientated and very technical people. We work sometimes with our exceptional machine learning team. Of course, our team is for clients, first of all, but also we have a couple of internal projects. Uh, they will also learn from each other how we can leverage the machine learning guys that help us to look at the data and insights in the way that probably we haven't been looking before. And what I'm seeing in terms of the upskilling or reskilling these teams, and maybe Stephen to, to kind of reflect on one of your earlier comments about the super jobs, is that I see this emerging combination of technical people 
uh, with strong communication and collaboration skills. So it's almost like the hot, the hot skills with the soft skills are coming to the perfect storm. And people now realize the ones who are really successful and, and very productive, they realize the need to bring those two to balance. And, and they're quite agile in saying, okay, now I want this. Uh, I, I really, you know, I understand the power of learning and, uh, you know, I, I can learn the skill and they're very, very proactive. So I see this really accelerated trend of combining the hard skills with the soft skills. And these are the people that we need. They're, they're the most productive. They're the most effective. That's the team you want to build. Definitely. And uh, in terms of when you're looking for the right sort of talent in the recruitment process, tell us what you and your HR people are looking for in employees and how do you go about sort of screening? We're quite fortunate. So we have a, a very good uptake for the roles when we publish them on LinkedIn. So typically we're self-sourcing. For some roles, we work with agencies and I believe what proved to be successful, first of all, you need to have a, a well-written job description. So it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, containing any, any surprises for anyone. So a well-written job description, that's, that's the first step. We typically review, take a look, you know, a couple of peers. It's not just one person working on the profile, maybe two to three people to make sure that we are all on the same page who we're looking for. And socializing a lot with our HR business partners when we select that talent and then usually take the full responsibility and accountability to screen absolutely every single CV. And then my recruitment business partner would be doing the same and then we would compare note. I think what typically stands out is a well-written CV. And then uh, typically we find amazing people behind those CVs as well. So I believe it's, it's you know, putting those expectations about the role and then uh, looking at the, the passions, the culture fit, uh, and also at the person's motivation to join us. Stuff and Judy? Yeah, so I have historically uh, done a two-pronged approach when I look for talent. My team uh, would be really screening for the analytical piece, right? So are they analytically minded, business acumen, and they think of their feet, tenacity, resilience. To me, you could have every box ticked on the technical side. If the soft skills are not there, then it's not going to be a winning uh, combination, right? So this is all about being able to work with cross-functional teams, uh, good communicators, understanding data and how to provide uh, insights to the business in a way that they are actionable and the leaders can understand what one, two, three things they can do. Somebody who is a team player with high EQ, right? Very important. And with Tracy, we talk a lot about the, I call it like the art of persuasion, influencing, very important. You have different data points. And if you have those data points aligned to your recommendation, you should be able to articulate that and influence. So to me, those are very important. Interesting, Lena mentions the importance of the CV. You know, in the age of LinkedIn, Tracy, is the CV still a good foundation? What's your experience in terms of the new way of applying for jobs now? It used to be the gatekeeper, like somebody look at the CV, but as we look at AI and people not just looking on LinkedIn, but going to Crackle, Full Stack, GitHub, and using AI recruiting software that is beyond LinkedIn because top talent lives in a lot of places now and we want to see the portfolios. The portfolio they have up there and there's a lot more hackathons. So yes, a CV is important, but I don't think it's the point of entry. It's almost the last thing that's looked at now as um, more companies use different types of AI to find this top talent. And to Lena's point, 
it's on soft skills and those top five soft skills from the broader, you know, outside of what we just heard here is number one is creativity because the way we used to solve problems with technology, we can't use it. So they're looking for people who can marry the creativity with the cooperation or the persuasion and everything's, and you can't really see that in a resume. And so, yes, the resume is important, but it's less important in the bigger picture than it once was. Mm. <laughs> There's a lot of complicated moving parts now. Sure. And obviously I mentioned at the beginning of the unemployment's uh, pretty high everywhere at the moment. So um, for people watching the podcast that are unemployed, especially if they've lost their job because of, of the COVID, for example, what advice, Tracy, do you have for them to stand out uh, from the competition? So it's not a matter of making it look pretty. I think a lot of people spend a lot of time putting lipstick on irrelevance. Because I would tell you to get digitally savvy. And if you're in the UK or Europe, go ahead and take Google's digital garage and bring your digital skills up so that you can take a job wherever. And then I would start the really seriously getting into reskilling and focusing on things that are um, certifiable through blockchain that have real meaning that people are hiring. And then with all the people, all the work and the small businesses across the globe struggling, go offer to do a project with your new skills so you have a portfolio to showcase on LinkedIn because it really isn't about your wording on LinkedIn. It's what you can show that you can produce in these new skill sets. So I would tell you spend more time upskilling and reskilling and getting a portfolio together than wordsmithing what you have on LinkedIn because the AI doesn't care about your story. The AI only cares about relevance. They care about the data. I, I totally agree, uh, Tracy. And it is it is the keywords game. It is about how much data you want to put in for the data to come out. There's always a person behind and you really want to meet that person. And, and again, the COVID situation, I believe, taught us to respect much more that personal interaction, to respect mm -hmm. the human behind the screens and behind everything that is surrounded as data. I was in, in another um, conference a couple of weeks ago, and it was a sales conference, and they were asking uh, what would attract my attention if somebody is reaching out to me and how often they do well, mm -hmm. in today's world, I mean, we were probably the same. There's a lot of video content happening. There's a lot of direct emailing. And um, can I, yeah. mm -hmm. I'm going to be a little challenge partner with you because when you look at firms like J.P. Morgan and L'Oreal who are not interviewing people. Mm -hmm. So if you look at J.P. Morgan last year, the analyst class, what they put out is that they looked for the hard skills and they did an AI personality test and you got the offer. There was no person and, and L'Oreal has embraced a lot of the chatbot, as has Honeywell, for the interview process. And so my question to you, <laughs> as I challenge you a little bit, because I believe in what you're saying, because I think there is always a human, and we can make a lot of hiring errors if we depend too much on technology, because technology is only smart to a point. At some point, you know, technology is only as good as the people using it. And one of the things, you know, that we're seeing with these companies and when I advise people, and this is why I want to go back to the technology a little bit, LinkedIn has something very new on the back end. So if you are somebody who is skilled in a particular area and you meet all the job qualifications, you may not be served up because what they're trying to do is serve up the candidate for today and the candidate for tomorrow. So they use machine learning to see where people are upskilling in your field and what type of certifications because they're trying to serve to the HR manager or the recruiter 
a first page like you do on a Google search with the machine learning and the NLP and learning from what's hireable. So what you're seeing on the back end is they're quickly serving up, like say digital marketing, you have to go through four certifications of upskilling before you can get on the front page that are not even listed in the job. How would you advise people, you know, as we look at this, because it really isn't SEO or keywords anymore. It's certifications that are blockchain um, verifiable so the company knows what they're going to hire, but it's also keeping up with trends of where your peers are upskilling. With technology changing so much, that seems really complicated to me. Well, I love what you're saying. I think that's, uh, that's a great challenge, um, well, at least to, to research and study. I believe in, uh, in the tools that you described, how the talent is being searched is clearly removing the bias. So if there's one thing that I would buy into this end-to-end technology solution for hiring people is removing all sorts of biases. Tracy, you mentioned the uh, education system is using blockchain. Is that quite prevalent now? Actually, it is. Um, there is a think tank that's starting to gather it. Because think about how hard in a world where all the skills are new that you really can't look at the work history to know what somebody can do. You need something that is solid and they're going to more things being badged like they do in computers. You don't keep updating the old badge, you just add a new one so that there's more transparency into what somebody's bringing skill-wise and you're seeing colleges look at going to blockchain, IBM certifications are all blockchain already. And so it's a real movement. It's called open badging is the other term for it. But there are two companies that are blockchaining everything so that employers know that you can do what they're hiring you to do. Yeah, no, no blagging on qualifications anymore. <laughs> it would be like me saying, because I could do an RPA video. I know RPA. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> Just one other point here when we look at uh, recruiting. So I had all my my references all ready to go. And uh, they said, hey, do you mind if we call this person who used to work for them? So they picked who they wanted to be my reference. So I was like, okay, I guess, yeah, fine. Uh, you know, so one, that I have never been faced with a challenge like that, because if you say no, that's a problem. Uh, if you say yes, of course, I mean, anyway, they could have called the guy anyway without telling me, right? So, so that's one, the networking. And then the other one, it's very important that we are very mindful of our digital footprint. Very mindful, because that could, uh, that could help us get ahead or actually without us even knowing, criminate against us and we'll not get a chance. So that's just uh, be mindful of that. I think it's very, very important. And I think, Judy, that's a great point because one of the things we talk about in the book is marketing has lost control of the employer brand. And millennials are really savvy. They don't go to Glassdoor. They go to LinkedIn. And they start looking at the managers and who they are and what they're putting out there. Are they only connected with people above them or their peers? Are they given praise in public? Because as we go to a fluid workforce, these millennials are looking to see who are the leaders who are allowing upskilling, who are giving public recommendations, who are you know, moving ahead because they know more than likely they're gonna be looking for jobs over and over again. And so the way leaders act on uh, public forums like LinkedIn are very telling to uh, future workers about 
how they're going to be treated, whether there's somebody they want to brand with. It's okay. If somebody takes your employee, here's what I will tell you. If you're a great company that they see that employees are being taken from, the backfill of your company is so much better than the company who sticks their head in the sand and says, not only are we not going to let anybody know who works for us, um, we're not going to showcase this great employer brand that brings great leaders and great teams together that everybody wants to be on and take employees from. And that's how you win in the talent war is being worth branding with. And your leaders tell a lot about your employer brand. Wow, it's like the whole ecosystem has evolved. Being a, a digital citizen is what it's all about now, isn't it? It is. And just so you know, 40 countries, including England and Spain, have um, signed in 2015 the Digital Citizenship Curriculum. And in the United States and all European countries, it starts in kindergarten. And you learn this curriculum all the way up to 12th grade. But the problem is we have more people who never had that curriculum on social media. And so it's very interesting as people up their digital citizenship and stop using LinkedIn as a billboard. We all know that we have a spam filter on our email. In May 2020, because everybody thinks content is thought leadership, <laughs> not true thought leadership has now put a, the equivalent of a spam filter on the feed, which means that you're going to get to less and less people, and it's not going to have the global reach that it used to have. And so I would be mindful that, yes, if you're going to be a thought leader, that's great but what they're looking for is systems leaders and that means as we go forward people are going to be more engaged with materials that bring in multiple points of view that are collaborative sort of like what we're doing today Steve people who have totally different backgrounds because it's more valuable as we bring all of our different points of view together we have complex issues complex jobs so we need a lot of input from a lot of people, and that's where LinkedIn is trying to retrain us not to constantly put content up there to, quote unquote, be the expert or thought leader. To what extent do you think the nine to five jobs in massive decline and also with the boundless opportunities out there? Tell us about what you think jobs will be like going forward. I think you're going to have more opportunities. Because when we go back to 2018 and CBRE was looking at commercial real estate, only 40% of office space was being used. And you looked at the barrier of why they didn't get rid of it and why jobs were left unfilled. At that time, they surveyed the CEOs and they said, we don't know how to scope remote work. And guess what? We just learned how to scope remote work in, what, 30, 60 days. So what I think it's going to create a huge opportunity um, for everybody globally. 80 million people on LinkedIn now are hourly workers. They have another, I think it's up to 15, 20 million that are what we call freelancer consultants, consultants professionals. You're going to see as companies go to boundless jobs, more support for LinkedIn as the one of the major platforms for getting those gig and freelance jobs and being found. I think they're trying to make it simpler for people to get the boundless jobs. And if you look at LinkedIn, they're trying to have learning on there. They're trying to be a basically a solution, not an app. Your horizons have changed a little bit in terms of the opportunity for employing people, you know, boundless jobs. People could be anywhere because everyone can work from home, basically wherever they are in the world. And so uh, when I think about the future at ISG, we have had discussions about the bundlers jobs and actually 
the benefit of it is that we have had open doors for 18 months that we couldn't hire because the capabilities and the experience that we were looking for was not found in that geographic area. So I think when you are looking for very specific knowledge that is maybe hard to come by, those will be the first ones. Finance, I would argue, is probably not going to be the cutting edge for bundle jobs initially because I get our experience and that's agnostic to the industry. I mean, we pick up new skills. Flexibility will be starting there. And I have seen those conversations within our company. Running out of time now. Um, any other things to talk about, Lena, perhaps? And one thing, maybe Tracy, it'll be interesting to see what you're working on next. Yeah, maybe Lena, first of all. No, it's, it's been an amazing discussion. I, I like, Judy, your previous comment about, you know, the value of networking. And I think today is the testimonial that uh, that is super valuable. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Stephen, knowing you for so many years and uh, the conversations that you, you're bringing together, I mean, this is exciting. But, yeah, it's all about the human interaction and the networking and uh, learning about each other, understanding each other and being able to share. Tracy? Well, the project I'm working on next is actually going to be with Judy. We have collected some people because I think um, we need to selectively forget what we know about how the workforce works and really look at the data and help companies map out to do things like Lena's company is doing with the reskilling and Judy's company with the reskilling because the data came back and is published online for anybody to see that there's only a business case globally to reskill 25% of the workforce, which means 75% did not make it into the report. And what Judy and I and a couple of people are going to do is dig deeper into the data and try to put together what is the pathway depending on what your background is. Good stuff. And uh, Judy, anything to add before we sort of uh, close up? Well, I mean, Steve, I think this is a great exchange. I think this is not only to the finance organization, but this is to anybody who is interested in hearing about the bigger picture changes accelerated by COVID. Those who are investing into their employees, into their products and offering into technology will be, uh, will be getting off to a faster start. And I want to be part of that, uh, leading the piece that I can. And, um, and I think it's a great opportunity to embrace a little bit the unknown because every, that's, that's for sure it's impacting everybody. So negating it is not an option. For me. The quicker you embrace it, the quicker uh, you get a couple of steps ahead of the competition. So I guess we've got to wrap up now. Um, it's been a great session. Uh, we talked about sort of employee engagement and leading with resilience. We talked about personal brand safety and the need to you know, be a good digital citizen in a world of algorithms and so forth. And we've talked a bit about boundless jobs, you know, the importance of culture in aligning with the right employee-employer relationship. And so, yeah, I think we had some really good good discussion. Uh, so I think we'll wrap up. Thank you. Just well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. Steve, thank you for putting it together, Lena. No so nice thank to you, meet Steve. you. Bye. Thank you very much. Bye. 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 B